Good morning. How's everybody? This is my third time, so you think I get it right by this time, right? Um, hopefully. Uh, I'm Pastor Kevin, for those of you that don't uh, know me. Um, none of you are more surprised than me to see me up here this morning. <laughs> uh, this was a last-minute thing. Um, so just to let you know, yesterday, Pastor Zeb reached out to let me know that um, Dana, his wife, um, has been struggling with all these winter illnesses that we've been trying to navigate here for the last few months. And so he did the right thing. He made the right call. He's staying home, taking care of her and the kids, and asked me to stand here and share God's Word, which I'm only too happy to do. Uh, whenever that opportunity arises. So um, I'll tell you what, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 116, that's where we're going to be this morning. And, um, and while you do that, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we are grateful for the opportunity to join together today in fellowship, Lord, to be encouraged by one another, to be encouraged by the perfect truth of your word. And Lord God, I pray that during this time together, you reignite and reinvigorate in each and every one of us a desire to set aside time each and every day, prioritize time, to lift our voices in prayer to you and to experience from that the, the joy that comes from being in communication with our Savior. So Lord God, bless this time together. Bless my brothers and sisters gathered here in this place, Lord God. We, we pray that you restore Dana to, to the fullness of health uh, as quickly as possible, your perfect timing. We give thanks to, for Pastor Zeb and his leadership and his heart to serve this church and his commitment to serve you well. And we give thanks most especially this weekend, Lord, to the enduring memory of Dr. King, a mortal man to whom you bestowed an enduring message of love, love that eclipses division and hate and prejudice time, Lord, where we need to re-embrace that message. So give us the heart to do that as well. Lord God, we love you and we lift these things to you. In the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everybody said, amen, amen. So whenever Pastor Zeb uh, reaches out and asks me to, to fill in for him when it's, when it's my turn in the, in the batting order, so to speak, I always ask if there's something specific that he'd like for me uh, to preach on. And he's always very gracious to tell me, just go, go wherever the Lord uh, leads, except for Romans chapter 11. <laughs> we'll get to that. That's God's perfect timing. Zeb did tell me that, that his plan for today was to preach a message on the importance of prayer. And that sort of struck a chord with me. So I, I decided to go ahead and, and stick with that. If you ever have found yourself or find yourself uh, in a church... Um, that isn't a praying church. If, if prayer is this obligatory thing that happens only when there is a perceived need, that is a huge missed opportunity for witnessing what God's purpose for prayer is, right? So we here at Apex Baptist Church, thankfully, we are a church committed to the importance of and the significance of prayer. And you all would be amazed, in a good way, at the amount of prayer that takes place in this building during the course of an average week, we get, um, we get emails from all over the world. I got an email earlier this morning from a man in India asking for prayer. How they find it? I don't know how they find it. I guess, you know, the, the interwebs and all that, all that good stuff. But the thing that's beautiful about that is we've got people from all over the world who somehow or another tune into what takes place in this room, and they feel led, they feel comfortable to ask us as their brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for them. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. I'll share this with you. So there is a woman in our community that started about, I don't know, four or five months ago who knits these beautiful prayer shawls. 
And while she's knitting the prayer shawls, she's praying over those shawls. And then she brings them to me, and I pray over them. And they're the most sanctified prayer shawls in the world, right? And they're beautiful. And we, when I first got them, I wasn't sure what we were going to do with these prayer shawls. But they started flying out the door for people who are infirm, people who are in the hospital, people who are sick, people who are just struggling and feel alone. We give them these prayer shawls, and they just literally wrap themselves up in it, and they just feel the love that is found in this place through prayer. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we are a church that's committed to the importance of prayer. So um, with that, also every week, many of you know this, I send out a prayer feed email to about 200 people from, from here in the church, and uh, it just lists the names of brothers and sisters who have asked for prayer. And not only do I know that those prayers are being lifted up in a beautiful way, but I'm also blessed many times to hear about how those prayers are answered, and they're answered in powerful ways. So look, if you need prayer, right, you let me know, and we will hook you up, and you will be covered in prayer. Amen? Look, we are blessed to worship a God whose greatest desire is to demonstrate his ongoing love for us through his willingness to be in communication with us. And there's a verse from Hebrews that I lean into all the time, and it is so good, you almost need to read it every day. You should read it every day. It's, it's, it's awesome. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the source of that confidence comes to us basically two ways. One is by knowing God's word. You need to know your Bible. You need to give this book priority time every day. You have time to give God's word 15 minutes. Amen? But bigger than that, I think, is the need to pray. If you prioritize taking time to talk to Jesus and you do it with your heart in the right place and with an understanding of what an answered prayer actually looks like, here's good news for you. You are now in an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. And that closeness grants you the confidence to, without fear, go before the throne of grace and tell your Savior what you need. And guess what? He already knows. You don't catch Jesus off guard. You're not going to shock him. But, but he wants to hear it from you because he wants to know you love and trust him enough to set that burden down before him no matter what it is. And you start to see why that makes prayer kind of a big deal. Because Jesus is not going to impose his will on us. His hope is for us to desire it. And the more we let him speak to us through his word and we in turn speak to him through prayer, the easier it becomes to surrender to his will. And he's then faithful to respond to our prayers. And listen, I know there, there's at least one person in this room today who can loudly testify to the fact that, Pastor Kevin, I pray every day. God doesn't listen. He doesn't respond. He doesn't care. And look, I've heard it over and over again many times from my own mouth. So one of my goals today, outside of not boring you, okay, amen, is to help you reflect on the moments in your life when you didn't think God was paying attention to you. And then I want you to ask yourself, are you sure? 
Are you sure? Because so many times in our desire to get what we want, when we want it, how we want it, we miss out on the fact that God actually did bring us to something or someplace better. So let's get started. I have a lot of ground to cover. I had to rush through the first two services. I don't have to rush anymore. Chick-fil-A is not open today. We got all afternoon. So (laughs) buckle up. Here we go. Psalm 116. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read the first um, seven verses, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll take a look and see what the Lord has for us and just move on from there. So verse 1, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now, there's something interesting about this psalm that, that, that you need to know. It'll kind of increase the significance of it for you. Psalms 1 through 13 through 118 are known as the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. And they were sung traditionally during the Passover Seder. Um, they were psalms that celebrated in varying ways the people giving thanks to God for leading them out of bondage in Egypt. And the word Hallel means praise Yahweh, pray, praise God. So this means that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he's sitting there with his friends. He sang this psalm, clearly drawing comfort from it, even with knowing what he was about to face in the hours to come. So the first proclamation here is, I love the Lord. And we all say it. We all say it, right? I love the Lord. Great. That is great. But why? Why do we love the Lord? The the psalmist says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice when I cry out to him for mercy. And hearing is good, right? We all want to be heard. When we have a voice, we have something that we want to to put out there. We want to be heard. But with Jesus, it gets even better. Because the psalmist tells us that not only does the Lord hear, but he listens. So how do we know he listens? Well, his word says he bends down, that he inclines his ear to hear every word. And we call that active listening. So, so figuratively speaking, the Lord bends down to make sure he doesn't miss a single syllable of what's weighing on your heart. So the creator of all things loves you that much. Even when you, your pleas to him reveal you to be something less than an angel. You know, maybe you're a sinner, right? Someone less who, than healthy in, in body. Someone less than stable in heart and mind. That's some good reasons to love the Lord right there, Amen. Therefore, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm going to call on the Lord for as long as I live. And again, hear Jesus singing these lines. And then look again at the reality of verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. The snares of, of death are rising around both this psalmist and centuries later, our Savior. Jesus is facing the cross as he sings this this worship song. The psalmist is living under brutal enslavement. You know, and and I get to to us in this day and age, facing the snares of death might sound a little dramatic, but let's face it, you know. All of us are living with something that's draining us to some degree of our hope. Broken relationships, challenges at work, financial burdens, kids that are driving you nuts. Addictions, on and on and on it goes. And we find ourselves then in the, in the pangs of Sheol, which is Hebrew for place of death. 
because that's what all that junk starts to feel like after a while. So both Jesus and the psalmist are suffering in distress and anguish and with nowhere else to turn, both cry out, Lord, please just deliver me from all of it. So for those of us that say prayer, don't have time, what keeps us from doing the very same thing that our Lord and Savior is doing, singing this psalm? So many of us know what it's like to live enslaved to the ongoing weakness of your flesh. I could write a book on it. But look, when we pray to the Lord to deliver our soul, we experience his grace and his mercy. And we experience not just his righteousness, but his desire to let us, the the likes of you and me, share in that righteousness. And in so doing, we find our rest through answered prayers. And I want to talk a minute about answered prayers because I know we all get really hung up on that from time to time. There's some really important stuff for us to know when it comes to how Jesus answers our prayers. So the first thing we need to know is that a prayer has to make a way for God to be glorified. And why is that? Well, because if God is glorified, we're blessed. And if we're blessed, God is glorified. So that's, that's a great equation. You know, every week, the One Step Ministry meets here on on Thursday night, and we read the full text of the serenity prayer. So those of you that are familiar with the serenity prayer, we don't pump the brakes at asking for the courage to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference, okay? When you have time, Google the full text of the serenity prayer. It'll bless you. And you don't have to be an addict to pray the prayer. It'll, It'll bless you either way. But here's a piece from that prayer that I think goes a long way towards helping us understand what praying to Jesus is meant to do. It says this, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you, Jesus, will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I might be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. So again, when we pray, we need to be seeking God's will over our own. And that's how we know our heart's in the right place and our motivation to pray is pure. You know, we give to Jesus the things that are weighing on us and with a desire to trust him with any outcome. We call that having faith. But understand this, you know, when we pray, we're praying to Jesus from an earthly perspective. It's whatever's going on around us. But Jesus responds from a heavenly perspective, meaning that he's going to answer you in his time. He may not answer you in the way you asked him to or expected him to, but he will respond in a way of his choosing that goes towards assuring you of your place with him in heaven. And that's the bottom line of every prayer we pray. And, you know, you look at the state of the world today, and it seems like the best we can hope for in the insanity that we live in is to be reasonably happy. And I get that that's a little underwhelming, maybe, but it helps, I think, build within us a hopeful expectation of what's to come for us as a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, I can find it in myself to be reasonably happy with my life in the here and now if it means that supreme happiness in his presence is the overriding desired answer to all my prayers. Jesus wants every prayer that we pray to lead us to him. In verse 8, the psalmist goes on, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. 
I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And again, just take that minute and imagine Jesus singing these words, again, fully aware of the anguish of the cross and the persecution that's to come. And yet these two little verses leave leave no room for a wavering faith. So Jesus' faith, my faith, our faith, and God the Father delivers our collective souls from death. Faith in him turns tears of sorrow into tears of joy. So even when we're faced with profound grief, he blesses us with the realization that he is always with us. And that brings about a type of comfort that's it's almost supernatural. You know, my faithful prayers also deliver me, protect me, save me from my stumbling feet. And my feet manage to stumble at least once a day, maybe twice. But prayer is what overcomes Satan's attempts at stumbling me. So when he tries to discourage me to the point where I can almost see myself rationalizing a surrender to sin, that's when I remember how crying out to Jesus puts me firmly back in the land of the living, walking with him. And that's why it's also really important for us to pray for each other. It's part of the reason why we come here. We're brothers and sisters bound by our faith in Jesus Christ. We have nothing else in common. We've got that, and that's huge. So when you pray, Lord God, protect my brothers and sisters at Apex Baptist Church. Bless our church family. You know, James in his epistle, he talks about the prayers of the faithful having great power and yielding wonderful results. We, it's because he was, a, he was a huge advocate of praying together as a congregation. We need to be praying for each other too. So yesterday, I was blessed to join um, Pastor Sean at the town of Apex's um, MLK march, and there was a program that followed, and that is when Pastor Zeb reached out to me and said, oh, by the way, can you preach tomorrow? <laughs> sure. Um, during during the, that program, uh, I was asked to offer up a prayer of forgiveness. And, uh, and when I tried to touch on, what I tried to touch on in that prayer is the need to be forgiving towards one another so that we may become united image bearers of God, because before I'm anything else, I have to see myself as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's my identity. And he calls me to love him and to love all people and to make disciples. And the best way to hit all three of those objectives is by praying prayers for wisdom and patience and empathy and courage, because that's what it takes. Verse 10, he continues, I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. You know, I believed even when I spoke. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul quotes this line. And some translations put it, I believed, therefore I spoke. But Paul uses it this way with the the Corinthians. He says this, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written in Psalm 116, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is for all your sake, so that grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So all this means is the Holy Spirit who's stirring the psalmist to share God with others is the same Holy Spirit doing likewise in Paul and and you and me. I believe in Jesus, therefore I speak about Jesus, even when I'm weighed down by my struggles, even when the world is trying to pull me away from doing that. And that's followed by this this little confession 
that sometimes, Lord, I speak before I think. I post something, you know, dumb on social media. Anybody? Before running it by you first. I encourage people all the time, pray before you post. <laughs> right? I go out there, I call everybody, everybody a liar, everybody a crook, everybody a cheat. And we have to take care not to do that. Because one of the best times for us to pray is before we speak, before we offer up our opinion or give our, our two cents. And because I know you're waiting for it. Here's your weekly dose of Charles Spurgeon that addresses this, this very thing. Spurgeon writes, speaking in haste is generally followed by bitter repentance. It is much better to be quiet when our spirit is disturbed and hasty, for it is so much easier to say than to unsay. We may repent of our words, but we cannot so recall them as to undo the mischief they have done. So in other words, once you speak, and especially when you speak in an, in an accusatory or confrontational way, you can't unring that bell, right? You can't put that toothpaste back in the tube and you can apologize till the cows come home, but the memory of what was said and the pain that it brought is gonna linger. And again, social media has made this a huge problem because in our flesh, we live for the clicks and the likes and the comments, and we really don't care what anybody else thinks. And that causes a lot of harm and a lot of hurt sometimes. So you have to be careful out there because when you set aside Jesus for that split second to go to Facebook to air what your thoughts are about some you know, political mess, it feeds this stereotype that Christians are just a bunch of angry hypocrites. So don't do that. Give them Jesus. You believe, right? You believe, so speak. And when you speak, give people something that exposes them to the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. Sow seeds, sow seeds. It's much better than setting fire to the field. And when you share Jesus, again, we do it lovingly and we do it gently and we do it respectfully. The rest of the Psalm goes like this, starting in verse 12. <clears throat> what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So, you know, I guess it's not uncommon for us to wonder what Jesus may want in return for all the things we ask him to do for us through prayer. So verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Um, it has nothing to do with tithing, okay? This psalm isn't about that. This is all about gratitude. This is about remembering to thank Jesus, thanking him for his unending desire to listen to us and bless us and, and guide us. You know, we lift salvation we do that why it's a sign of victory and celebration we proclaim how thankful we are to know Jesus and to celebrate what knowing him means and what it brings to our lives and it continues with I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people just underscoring again the importance of thanking Jesus in all things right Psalm 136 verse 1 give thanks to the Lord for he is good his love endures forever and enduring love, you know, enduring love can be a rare commodity in this life because we can destroy even the most loving relationships through sinful behavior. 
But with Jesus, when we in prayer turn to him humble and contrite, and we confess and we repent before that throne of grace, his love for us, no matter the, the gravity of your sin, it never falters. So when everybody else around you has turned away from you and rejects you, Jesus stands with you. With the Holy Spirit, you are never and can never be alone. And he'll be faithful to see you through the earthly consequences that sin may impose, and he'll raise you up. And he'll take that mountain of, of sin and he'll turn it into a celebration of healing and redemption. And again, if y'all been here before, you've heard me share this before. If it bores you, I'm sorry, but I believe, so I'm gonna speak, amen? What empowers me to do the work I do comes from the fact that 28 years ago, before most of the pastors were even born, except for Peter, thank God for Peter. It's the only thing that keeps me from being the old man on the staff. 28 years ago, I was in the throes of withdrawal from alcohol. And I was broken morally. I was bankrupt financially. I was on the brink of divorce. My wife and kids demolished by my sin. And there was nothing accidental about the way I was living. I was a selfish, self-destructive man. And there came that day when I was encompassed by the snares of death. So I did the one thing I hadn't done in a long time. I pleaded to Jesus for mercy. And all I prayed for, two things that made sense to me. I want to be sober and I want to save my marriage. That just made the most sense. That seemed to be the most logical thing. And praise God, Jesus did that. But he also, and this happens a lot with prayers, he chose to give me way more than what I prayed for. So you know, I think about me up here doing this. No college, no seminary. It's a miracle. You know, baptizing people officiating marriages, preaching memorial services. It's a miracle. Working with our police department, leading the one-step ministry. Working in this place. Working in this place with the best group of people I have ever been associated with. Miracles. You all need to want to work here. It's, it's. And not one bit of it happened thanks to me. It was just a matter of getting to a place, calling on Jesus, knowing he would stoop down and listen to me, and how that in his perfect timing, that would bring about a washing away of my mess so that everybody around me could witness his glory in whatever form he chose to display it. That is, that is a come on somebody right there. But that's what prayer does. But only if you're tapping into it. If you aren't praying because you just don't have time, then you're cheating yourself out of everything that your walk with Jesus could be and should be. He has loosed your bonds. So you need to be giving him all the thanks for that. And even if you don't have, look, if you don't have two nickels to rub together, you still need to thank Jesus for waking you up this morning and bringing you here to be encouraged by his love for you. You open your eyes, you drew breath into your lungs, and he's been faithful to bring you to a fellowship that prays for the chance to do whatever we can to help you get through whatever storm you might find yourself in. So I'm gonna close us in prayer here in just a second, but I want you to know that if you need to know Jesus Christ as your savior, um, I'll be down front here. I would love to have that conversation with you. There'll be a pastor and other staff members out um, just outside the worship center, same thing. 
Likewise, if you feel like you've just let your relationship with Jesus take a backseat to the world, let us pray for you along those lines too. Let's help you reset because it's not as hard as the enemy wants you to think it is because Jesus is waiting for you. He's in this place. He wants to hug some prodigals today. But friends, more than anything else, let me encourage you to do whatever it is you have to do to make time every day to talk to Jesus because you'll be amazed by the heart change that comes as a result. So let the one who loves you more than anyone else could ever love you demonstrate that love to you because it's a love that changes everything. Amen? And Heavenly Father, we are grateful for that love. We're grateful for the opportunity, Father, that you love your creation, your precious children so much that you allow us to, to speak to you directly, to share with you the things that are weighing on our hearts and in our minds and the things that might be even drawing us away from you. And you bring peace, quiet the worry. You take away the anxiety and you draw near to us and you make us whole and you bring us back into the light of your righteousness each and every time we need it. You're faithful to do that. And so Lord God, I pray two things today. I pray that as a body, we are reinvigorated in our desire to be people of prayer. And number two, Lord, I go back to our celebration of the memory of Dr. King. Again, a man blessed with an enduring message that we have drifted from in profound ways. Let these next couple of days be a time where prayerfully we focus on that message and we tear down those walls of division and again, see ourselves as image bearers of our creator. We love you, Lord God, and we lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.